Thank you for joining us here on Pro Talks, where we have brief conversations with industry leaders exploring moments that shape their careers and industries. Pro Talks is sponsored by the PR Office. I'm Ben Judah, and today I'm joined by Joy Burnford, founder and managing director at My Conf- at My Confidence Matters. Joy, thank you for joining us. Hello, Ben. Thank you for having me. Um, so, wh- why don't you tell us a little bit about My Confidence Matters? What is it? What spurred you to start it? Where did it come from? Well, it's interesting. I. Um if I tell you a little bit about my career, I've, I've been on a bit of a confidence roller coaster myself for the last 20 years. So um, about 10 years ago, you wouldn't have had me speaking on a podcast. Um, you wouldn't have had me speaking on a stage. I would have run a mile. And so um, my sort of 20-year career starting in management consulting um, has been a fantastic experience. But I felt that whilst I was um, in my career, I couldn't speak up and, and, and speak in front of an audience very well. And I could sing and I could act, but I found it really difficult to actually speak up in business. So, um, and I just thought that was just me and other people were better than me. And it was only after sort of being coached myself and trained and realising that you're not born confident, you can actually learn it. And so this um, sort of seed of an idea gave me the idea to set up My Confidence Matters um, back in 2017, which is the second business that I've run. Um, But I really felt it was really important to me that women in particular who feel nervous and lack lack confidence in the business environment or can lack confidence um, it was something that actually can be taught and really wanted to bring together I call myself a curator of confidence and I bring together experts who can help to um, to give people more confidence when it comes to um, you know, speaking up in business well that, that's amazing and, and so much to, to kind of unpack that I'd, mm. I'd love that when you uh, had that moment of realization that you didn't have confidence and it was something to be taught. Where did that come from? When did that sort of, was it a light bulb moment or was it slow and steady? I just thought I couldn't do it. I just thought, you know, even at parties or speaking at, you know, and when it was me having to speak about myself or things that I knew about, I found it impossible because I thought, well, why would anybody want to listen to me? Um, if I could act, if I had a script or I was doing singing and I had music, I could do it very easily. I still got nervous, but I actually could do it very easily. But I used to just think, I'd put other people forwards instead of me, so in, in previous business experiences with previous um, business partners or people I worked with, I used to just think, well, they're better than me, better than me so why wouldn't they do it? And I didn't ever push myself to, to overcome that um, fear. I just thought it was natural, I just thought it was me, I didn't want to speak up. Mm. And then I realised that actually, I spent about a year um, doing some coaching myself, sort of a bit of a, a, a year of self-reflection um, a few years ago, and was trying to work out why it was that I could act and sing, but I couldn't speak up. And I realised that it was, I call it my five Ps now, which is um, push for pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, planning, preparation, practice and perform. So my kind of key to confidence is having those five Ps. And if you have all those five Ps, then actually standing up and speaking should be really relatively easy by the time you've done the other, the other four bits. So um, I used to want to kind of push myself and then perform and not do the bits in the middle. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to do the... I, you know, I just didn't really think of it was important to do the preparation and the practicing. But actually now if I'm, you know, for example, for this podcast, I spent quite a lot of time thinking about the podcast and what I was going to be saying. And before I probably just thought I would just have to turn up and do it without having to think about it, which sounds really obvious. But <laughs> I think in business as well, people are often not given the time to prepare. So a lot of, I mean, I, my background is management consulting. And I think a lot of the time people are expected to go and pitch at um, meetings, you know, without very much time to practice and prepare and I think that can often hinder people's confidence you know giving people more time is really key I think to prepare and, and uh, practice so um, where did the uh, 
the drive to go and, and actually undergo some um, some coaching yourself? Mm. What what converted to, to taking that time for self reflection? I think you called it. Yes, I think it was possibly to do with having had children. So mm-hmm. I have two children. Um, I think after you've had children, a lot of people will know that your life kind of changes, <laughs> and you have to rethink, you know, think again about how you're going to um, tackle your career. And I think it was just about my kind of next year, ten year plan, really, about what am I going to do, and what's going to be next for me, and realizing that, and I think in the last two or three years, I've actually stepped up, uh, you know, a lot in my career, um, more than I have probably in the last twenty years, to be honest. I've actually achieved a lot more because I've had this confidence to just put myself out there and do things. Um, and yeah, so doing things like writing for Forbes has been an amazing opportunity for me. Um, being paid now to speak at events, <laughs> which I wouldn't have done. <laughs> I mean, like, you wouldn't have been able to pay me a million quid you know, 10, 15 years ago to speak. Um, I'd always hide behind other people. So yes, it was just, I think, I think it was just sort of self-reflecting on kind of where I was with my life, really, and thinking about what I wanted to achieve in the next 10 years. I like having a plan and a project. Um, <laughs> Sure. So I, I, I think that's really interesting that um, you took that time out mm-hmm. to, as you put it, as one of your mm-hmm. five steps is mm-hmm. to plan mm-hmm. for your career, not mm-hmm. just for standing Absolutely. up and speaking. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people don't take the time yeah. to do that and you kind of run almost on autopilot. Absolutely. You're chasing what is the uh, urgent uh, rather than sort of thinking, actually, where do I want to be? Yeah. What do I want to do? So that's... Yeah. That's a really interesting yeah. learning point already, yeah. or straight out the gate. Yeah, That's yeah. phenomenal. And we have actually, we have a, we've developed a, a tool called the Confidence Compass, which is a sort of a tool we use when we're doing coaching. So it looks, it helps people reflect on their life, and it looks at things like self belief, time management, um, well being, resilience, and the fourth segment is, um, <laughs> oh, I've forgotten, workplace. <laughs> Sorry, the, the key one. Um, so looking at all those different areas in, in, in detail, and we've de- delved down and actually talked to people about what it is that's perhaps where they're struggling a bit, so we mm-hmm. can get a real clear picture at that point. So I think it's a really nice thing to do um, if you're going to a coaching um, in session with somebody. It actually gives you a sort of starting point for where you, where you currently are in your, in your life. So it sounds almost like it's, it's quite holistic. That mm. to, to be confident, let's say, in, in the workplace as mm. one of your four se- segments, mm. it, it's not going to be the only place that you're confident. It's something that spills over or comes, even comes out from the rest of life. Yeah. And you can learn confidence. This is a thing I just didn't really realise. <laughs> sounds really obvious, but if you think about, you know, if you made a cup of tea this morning, um, did you think about how you made it? And were you confident making your cup of tea? Uh, yes. Or coffee? So. Yeah, <laughs> didn't yep. probably think about it. No. Whereas if you think about, I mean, I, my ten-year-old daughter um, has only been making a few cups of tea so far, so she thinks very carefully about how she's going to make it, and she doesn't feel particularly necessarily that confident about it at the moment. So the more she does it, the more she'll become more confident. And actually, there's the sort of neuroscience of confidence is about how you, the more you do something, your brain connections all you know work to actually create more. Um, I can't remember the technical term, but synapses and to, to actually create this. Um, your brain can learn to become more confident. So the more you do something, um, the more you c- you know you're better at it. Mm. So it's similar to if you're in you know you might be actually a brilliant cook and really confident cook, but actually you might be like me. You know you didn't want to speak up in business. So it's actually just doing things to actually practice is really important. So I, w- I want to take a step back. Mm. You you mentioned your five uh, was it P's. five P's. Yeah. The, f- the second and third, I think, was planning mm. and preparation. How do those two differ? Mm. So planning is more sort of high-level, strategic sort of high-level. So if you're going for a job interview, I guess, it's sort of things like, you know, why, 
why would somebody be wanting me? What are the things I can bring? Um, so sort of high-level planning, which you could do a few months in, in advance. Um, it's really thinking strategically about what, why you're going to be in that room, whether you're, if you're speaking up in a, in a um, seminar or something like that, what are the audience wanting to take away from it? Mm-hmm. Um, and then preparation is more the kind of detailed preparation that you do maybe a few days before. I mean, I do this, so I write things out longhand, and then I would, um, which I never used to do, but I write it out longhand, then I can write it out again shorthand, and then create bullet points, and then maybe have a few points that I have on a card if I'm going to do a presentation. So it's kind of that process of becoming familiar with the subject matter, um, which is the same for speaking at an event or preparing for an interview or in anything that you need to do when you need to prepare to be confident. Well, I think that's playing a musical instrument or doing sport or anything like that. Exactly. I, I think that spills over into, into almost almost ev- everything. It sounds like the, the, you think 30,000 feet, what am I trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Who is my audience, mm-hmm. etc. Mm-hmm. And then as you get closer to mm-hmm. the event, you start zeroing in on some of the details, becoming more familiar yourself. Yeah, and doing things like preparing slides and stuff at the very last minute. You don't, you, you don't want to be preparing slides <laughs> much before that. I think we always recommend that you... Um, you do all preparation and then the slides are a kind of aid memoir if you're doing a presentation for example so um, you've explained how you came to decide to start My Confidence Mm. Matters can you tell us a little bit about what it is as an entity Mm. what it does who it helps Mm. well as I say I'm a a, I call myself a curator of confidence so I bring together expert coaches and trainers in this space so we we do um, we offer three coaching programs specifically to organizations to help um, I, I have a sort of as an aside to the business my I'm sort of a, a key advocate around gender equality in the workplace and I'm very passionate about helping women to succeed and get to more senior roles so our programs although they can be we, you know, we do um, train men as well as women the, the actual um, overriding ambition is to give women more confidence to step up into, into more senior roles within business. So we have three main programs. One is called um, Coaching Clinics, which is where we offer organisations a day of time with a coach. And one of the things I'd really love to do is bring coaching to the masses. So it's not just reserved for exec coaching levels. So we can offer a day of coaching for people so they can book that either virtually or face-to-face. Um, the second programme is Speak Up, which is all about confidence to speak up. And that's a um, usually a five-week program, but all of these are tailor, ta- tailorable by by companies. And then the the third sort of main major program we have is coaching for modern leadership. So looking at what it means to be a modern leader in today's complex business environment. Things are changing. It's not all about command and control anymore. It's there's a lot about collaboration, curiosity. You know those sorts of traits that um, men and women sh- you know need to be thinking about. So it's actually looking at that and how we train. And coach people in this in this area. So that's kind of the other sort of main coaching that we do. So this might sound like a, an obvious question, mm. but do you feel and is it your experience that women have less confidence than men in the workplace? Mm. Well, uh, interestingly, we did a piece of research last year, which I think you might have you might have looked at the. Uh, <laughs> um, so we we interviewed um, or we didn't interview. We surveyed two and a half thousand people across business last year, and this is one of the things I wanted to look at was whether women suffered from a lack of confidence more than men. And the, the findings were quite close, but 79% of the women we surveyed said they lacked confidence compared to 62% of men. That's quite a disparity. So it is. I mean, we had fewer men, um, so the sample wasn't as big. It was still it was about 300, so it's about um, you know, just over 10%. Mm. But I think it still gives a good indication that women do tend to lack confidence more than men. And actually the results we got, a lot of men saying they rarely lacked confidence more than women. 
Oh, that's an interesting nuance. Mm. Where do you think that comes from? Well, it's difficult. I think, you know, it can come from sort of a lot of different things. I think, you know, societal sort of upbringing, the way that women are um, perceived in the world, you know, unconscious bias, those sorts of things. So actually women feel that, um, I think, tend to not want to stand up and, and, and sort of have the confidence to say things as much as men do. But I'm not saying je- that's a real generalistic point. I think a lot of men do, you know, lack, lack confidence as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's, I'm not exactly sure where it comes from, but uh, sorry, this is a bit of a not wobbler. But no, but <laughs> if, if confidence can be taught, is it, that, um, is it that lack of confidence is also taught, is ingrained, or is that something that, mm. um, you know, is, it, is it a lack of one leads to another? Or? I, I think in business, in particular for women, I think women feel they don't want to admit to lacking confidence because it feel, they might feel that they're not going to be given their, um, the next job. You know, if they're lacking confidence, why would you give me a pay rise or why would you give me a promotion? So I think there's a lot of it is hidden. And what I want to try and do is encourage organisations to talk about it more. And actually, a lot of people say to me in my in my um, performance review, I was told I lacked confidence. I need more confidence. But then that's kind of where the people are left with this thought, oh, I'm lacking confidence, I need to go and do something about it. Mm-hmm. Rather than just having that open conversation. I was interesting, I was at an event um, at the end of last year, actually, and... Uh, at the big bank and I was doing a presentation about how to be more confident and the person who was hosting the event from the big bank had a number of her team members in the room and they um, stood up and were sort of admitting that they'd lack confidence and the person who was running the session came to me after she said I had no idea these people lack confidence because she just thought they were really confident because <laughs> they'd never admitted it they'd never they'd never had that conversation so I think if you can actually have a conversation about confidence and inter- interestingly my um, new podcast I was telling you about is going to be called The Confidence Conversation so having discussions with, with people sort of role models of people who can talk openly about this you know to actually share their experiences people who've got to senior roles within business and what they can share with people and actually opening up that conversation so people can talk about it how fabulous yeah. Um, so how do you think the uh, landscape is shifting in, in the business world towards attitudes, towards confidence and uh, the roles of uh, men and women in senior leadership? How has that shifted over the last few years? So, I mean, there are some interesting points. So in our research, we looked at things like, the, well, we looked at the barriers that were stopping women um, reaching senior roles. So one of them was the lack of confidence. One was... Um, lack of internal opportunities and one was the sort of work-life juggle mm-hmm. um, that people people suffer from sometimes and um, interestingly flexible working is really on the rise so in terms of having more confidence to do their job one of the things that people struggle with is actually you know if, you, if you've got a family for example how do I juggle the whole being a mum doing work and things like that and that can knock people's confidence a lot especially returning to work after having a baby um, so I think organisations are shifting a lot towards offering things like flexible working, although I think it's quite a lot in policy at the moment and there are in, you know, individual experiences of, ro- of um, line managers. Actually, often people say that their line manager is not keen on it, so they can't do it. So there's a lot, there's a kind of the big shift towards, I think it was like, um, I can't think off the top of my head, 78% I think of um, organisations offered flexible working in our research, which was a bit, was a lot more than I thought it would be. It is, yeah. So... Yeah. Because I think creating uh, change, uh, we're talking at an industrial, at a societal level, mm-hmm. sounds, it, it is a colossal mm-hmm. 
uh, undertaking and certainly something that you know it's like changing changing direction of a big frigate it's slow it's steady work yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you think are the main drivers of that change why are we seeing that change happening now well it's interesting i was just going to say actually the world economic forum um has an index global gender index and the uk has gone from 15th to 21st this year I and mean, i thought 15th was bad enough <laughs> we're now gone to 21st so what i'm doing this year i'm actually working with london school of economics and we're doing another piece of research looking at the global landscape around gender equality because the um, world economic forum is saying it's going to be about 202 years till we reach gender equality in the workplace so it's a heck of a long time globally globally so who's who's top of that list it's the nordic countries really mm. So the top three are Nordic countries. And one of the things we're, we're just trying to finalise the research um, programme at the moment, but we'll look, we want to look at what are those countries doing. Um, and I think it's bigger than just organisational challenges. It's, it's, it's government, it's society, it's a lot of things um, into the mix. But this is what we, if you know, I talk to you next year, I'll probably have a better idea. But, <laughs> but we're looking, I think Spain's gone from 30 to 5, I think, off the top of my head. Wow. So we're going to look at some of these different countries and work out what are they doing, what's, what's helped with that, sh- that shift. And what are the barometers, what are the, uh, the markers for what is good and what is not so good? Um, one of the things that, that I was reading a little while ago was on, on this list that, that I found quite surprising. Mm. Uh, I think it was Rwanda was, was mm. really high up mm. the top of the list. Mm. And it, that comes from uh, women taking senior uh, political uh, roles mm. first. Mm-hmm. Um, following the, the terrible genocide mm. that happened there, and then, then that then spilled down throughout business yeah. uh, and what have you. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess, what are the, what are the indicators mm. that things are going in the right direction? Well, I think I mean as I said, I think things like um, being aware of you know in this country particularly, I think women get into senior roles have a lot to. It's usually around the time they might want to go off and have children. So there's things like childcare costs um, often stop women. You know, they have a choice to actually go back to work and have to probably earn less than they would because they've got to pay for childcare. So there's lots of things like that. And I think around you know government support around childcare costs is a big thing. Things like flexible working, as I've said, I think is a big thing that um, companies are getting better at. Still a massive amount to do, but I think they're getting better at it. So I think when we, we start taking steps like that across the board... And, and I think equal flexibility for all, it's not just about giving women flexibility, it's about giving men flexibility so that they can help with the, um, the, sort of the, you know, the home life things. So this is something that I, uh, and, and I'd love to actually hear your opinion on, I'm going to mm. put you on the spot, sorry. Um, I, my thinking between um, a, a way in which we can improve and, and potentially remove some of the um, barriers for women coming back to work after after having a baby would be uh, equalising male and female, but you know paternity and maternity leave. If it was the same across both, then there would be no um, no reason why one versus the other would would or should stay home. Mm. Currently, if you are more incentivised for the the woman to stay home, yeah. that just plays into the the issues that that we're currently experiencing yeah. I know I, I have a two-year-old um, yeah. with with my wife and, and we do very much share mm. uh, everything and it was just because of the um, positive uh, space that I was given in previous mm. workspaces that, that, that allowed us to mm. do that mm. um, 
would that be something that you think is uh, something that a company could or do you think that's internality for no us? I think it's definitely has to happen actually I mean I think my I'm very lucky for my husband his um, he took time out when I had my first child because I started my my previous business when my daughter was just born <laughs> so uh-huh. kind of <laughs> I started that kind of the wrong time really but um, he took a year off and did the whole childcare thing and, and we had to as a, as a couple decided that actually I'm really passionate about working and I really love doing it so he was willing to take that year out he didn't do it again for the second one probably because he realised how difficult it was <laughs> but um, he's been very supportive for, you know of me and my career and, and now we have a very much sort of joint um, responsibility for the kids mm-hmm. um, I was listening to an interesting podcast the other day um, on The Fix which is Michelle King's podcast you heard that one I have yeah. yes and she was were, she was interviewing I think Eve Rodsky I think it was and they were talking about what balance means in the workplace and invisible roles versus visible roles yeah. And I loved her analogy of um, saying it's not about 50-50, it's about owning specific roles within the, in the home. Mm-hmm. So things like, I mean, for example, my daughter plays football, my husband does all the football stuff from conception through to implementation. So think of it like a, you know, in, in an organisation. He has that chunk of work and he does that and I don't get involved in it. So he manages that whole process. So I think that works really well if you can divide roles like that so it may be washing that your husband does or it may be what you know washing the wife does but actually you have that as your your role and responsibility so there's no sort of ambiguity around roles in the, in the home what, what, what a brilliant way of putting it i think the the uh, cognitive load is one thing that um very much is, is an issue mm-hmm. um and, and a kind of a barrier of who thinks who who is worrying about who's you know, doing the shopping, doing the washing, when it, when is it going to happen? Yeah, it's yeah. that, as you said, the, the invisible mm. load that, that um, can create frustrations. Exactly, and I said actually to my husband last week, I said, why don't we do a little experiment? Because I was interested for the for the, my work I do as well. I said, why don't we just work out, do a little timesheet for a week <laughs> and work out what we're, you know, how much time we're thinking about home stuff, mm-hmm. what we're actually doing mm-hmm. in terms of ferrying children back and forth, taking them to school, and actually just work out how much of our time wow. is spent. And I would just be really interested to know, if we did that for a week, what, what the answer would be. That would be fascinating. Yeah, so I think uh, I'd encourage anybody to have a think about it. And so, my wife might kill me for saying <laughs> this. Uh, we, we actually have, we put in the diary once a week a meeting between yeah. the two of us where we discuss all matters related yeah. to home and family life with an agenda, any yeah. other business, everything, and you come to the meeting prepared as you would do for any other meeting. What it does is it allows us to have um, the rest of our life. Yes. We'll keep it for family meeting. Yeah. Just keep it for family meeting. Otherwise, you know, you're brushing your teeth yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah. I must yeah. tell you about whatever. Oh, really good. Do you manage to do that every week? Every week without fail. If uh, my wife travels a lot for business, so anytime she's out the country, we'll do it on another day. But it's it's family meeting is brilliant. Mm, that's brilliant. <laughs> I've we've tried that. But we haven't managed to sort of get it weekly. <laughs> we need to try harder. <laughs> Um, so I, I'd love to hear um, from you, getting back to, to kind of my confidence matters and confidence in, in the workplace, who do you think is doing this particularly well? Who could be um, highlighted as someone who's thinking outside of the box of uh, putting things into practice rather than just talking about it? It's a difficult question, really, um, to sort of single out in you know particular organisations. I think I was... Um, fortunate to go to an event the other night listening to the CEO, Alison Rose, who's the first CEO of RBS, sorry, first female CEO of a, of a financial institution, um, which is incredible. And I think she's bringing a lot of um, sort of modern leadership 
um, qualities to that role um, in a very male-dominated environment. And so it'd be interesting to watch and see how you know RBS and NatWest you know, thrive under that leadership. Um, she's done a lot on the Rose Review, well, she's written the Rose Review, which is all about female entrepreneurs and offering support for female entrepreneurs and sort of trying to give women more space to um, develop in that, in that industry. So that's more entrepreneurs rather than corporates. Um, I had a, another interesting chat the other day with Fiona Dawson, who's the global president of Mars, um, who's also the chair of the Women's Business Council. And Mars are doing really incredibly well on the global pay gap, gender pay gap. Um, it's pretty equal in terms of men and women. And um, I think that's to do with kind of cultural um, things as well. I think Mars has always been an inclined, you know, been a very sort of inclusive um, organisation. So um, that was interesting talking to Fiona. And she actually was saying she's never really felt lacking in confidence but she still feels nervous speaking in front of an you know, audience. Wow. And the women I speak to who say, you know, even Jo Swinson, who's former leader, leader of the Liberal, Liberal Democrats, she said she felt really nervous, um, you know, speaking in the House of Commons. And I was like, really? And, I, you know, I feel, you know, everybody feels a bit nervous. And I think it's, it's, it, it's a really good point to make to people that actually it's good to feel nervous, that you're going to feel nervous, whether you're really experienced or not. And actually you just have to, if you're plan you know, if you planned it, you've prepared and you've practised, You'll still have some nerves, but actually you can do it. And just believing that, and, and sort of knocking the imposter um, off its perch, really. And uh, you know, imposter syndrome is something that we all all suffer from, from time to time. Um, so uh, yeah, just sort of get rid of that if you can. Absolutely, I think nervousness and confidence aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. You can walk into a room and be incredibly confident, and yet nerves are always going to play a part yes. when you have 10 people staring at you 100 people a thousand people yeah. staring at you it's yeah. always going to be yeah. there even doing a podcast <laughs> just the two of us in a room very friendly okay. but it's still you know i'm still feeling nervous about it and i think that's you know that's i might sound confident but actually there are nerves still there and that's that that is i think even when you're performing as a doing music or whatever having that those nerves or acting and you speak to lots of actors who say they get really nervous and that adrenaline is what sort of makes them brilliant mm -hmm. and actually you know, really embracing that, I think, is a really important thing. So, just to just to sum up at the end, are there any tips, any uh, pieces of advice that you can give to uh, any of the listeners, whether they're earlier in their career or you know quite established professionals, mm -hmm. on how they can appear or how they can be more confident in the workplace and, and in the wider world? Mm -hmm. I would say my biggest uh, advice is to push yourself out of your comfort zone and actually say yes to things and work out how you're going to do it afterwards. Because actually, that's something I probably didn't do. I'd shy away from things and I'd just think that somebody else can do it rather than saying, yes, I mean, I, if you'd asked me to do this podcast 10 years ago, I would have said, oh, I'm really busy. Sorry, Ben, I can't do it because I'd just be too scared. And actually just saying yes and then preparing for it it's great and it's actually gives you a you know a good platform to, to move on to do other things and once you've done a podcast then you can go on to it's like being interviewed for the radio or television or whatever you know it's sort of you start small you don't go straight to the Albert Hall um, you know you start small and you then you, you sort of grow as you go so I think pushing yourself out of your comfort zone is one one thing um, the second thing I think is to be bold and be courageous and not be afraid of having conversations with managers or colleagues and be honest be really courageous and actually having honest conversations about whether you want to have a pay rise or you want to have flexible working be really honest because people just don't ask and if you don't ask you don't get and I think you've got to be really 
confident in yourself about just going for it and asking because all they can say is no at the end of the day and if you don't ask there's not a possibility so I think being bold and courageous is another one would um, you say just to, to delve into that mm. being courageous and being bold and, and being honest mm. those five points that you spoke about before uh, are things that people should consider before they do that or is it just go ahead and, and ask no I think you should definitely prepare Prepare. prepare and can, prepare. can you go through what those five are again of course push for pushing yourself out of your comfort zone planning preparation practice and perform and so let's say someone is going to ask for a pay rise for mm -hmm. example a really common thing that mm -hmm. i think a lot of people would mm -hmm. would love to be able to do but mm -hmm. just don't know how to broach that mm -hmm. subject how do they go through all of those five stages uh, to go up to their manager and say hey I'd like to have a pay rise. I think it's a, being aware, doing, doing your research, mm -hmm. finding out what other people are being paid if you can, looking at sort of industry, um, what's available in the industry to look at, um, being, just being, I think also not just going and saying I'd like a pay rise because I need a pay rise, it's actually what are you going to do differently? You know, why do you deserve to have a pay rise? You know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to bring X amount of bottom line or I'm going to... Um, perform in a different way or I'm going to you know different ideas about how you might do your role to justify that pay rise so I think it's being very clear and in that preparation time you can then you know, work that out don't just go and say I, I deserve a pay rise <laughs> please <laughs> give it to me <laughs> so yes you could look at you could maybe have another job offer on the table you might you know to, to negotiate really um, so sort of key negotiating tips really um, so what are you hoping for for 2020? What does a, a successful 2020 look like for yourself and look like for My Confidence Matters? So for My Confidence Matters, um, 2020, I've got a, a campaign for 2020, which is called 2020 Actions, and I'm passionate about trying to get 2020 pledges towards getting us one step closer to gender equality this year. So looking to men and women who work in, in organisations or not, or entrepreneurs, what is what is it each of us going to do differently? So it may be I'm going to pledge to ask for a pay rise, I'm going to pledge to coach somebody in my organisation, or I'm going to, and my pledge was to organise three events this year to bring together like-minded people in this space, so that was my pledge. Um, so my success was going to be to have achieved those three things. <laughs> and the first one of which is the London Stock Exchange on the 9th of March, so we're, um, that's my first Hopefully. One tick box. One tick box. Exactly. Great. Exactly. And I think really, um, you know, we're still a, a young company, so I think um, spreading our wings this year, growth for me is a big thing. So, um, looking at how we can implement our programs in, in more organisations, which would be, would be wonderful. Fantastic. So, where can people find out more? So, on our website, myconfidencematters.com. Or if you look, look on Forbes.com, you can search for my name, Joy Burnford, and you can see the articles that I've written on Forbes about women uh, and confidence and leadership issues. And 2020actions.com, if you want to pledge. Be a good starting point. Or follow me on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with you. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure.